Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Athletic. So one of football's most iconic franchises has a new name. EA Sports FC 24 signalled the end of one of the biggest commercial partnerships in the world of sports and entertainment, a smash hit video game that inadvertently became a PR masterstroke for football's world governing body. We'll deal with its cultural footprint, messy divorce and bright future. And. We'll see how far into this episode we get before somebody just calls it FIFA. I'm Adam Leventhal. Welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, on the way, we're going to be hearing from the Vice President of Brand at EA Sports, a top FC24 influencer, and we'll get the take of our senior football news reporter, Matt Slater. But in the studio, begrudgingly hitting pause on their PlayStations to talk about rather than play the game itself are the Athletics' Jay Harris and Art de Roche. Art, how are you? I'm good. As you said, I I was (laughs) was stacking up some wins on all of it, teams, so I'm I'm begrudgingly glad to be here. (laughs) And Jay, you've been all in since its release? I have, yeah, and I was playing it reasonably late last night as well. So apologies if, um, you know, you can see the bags under my eyes, that's why. And you you mentioned before we started recording, a bit of of karma came to bite you on the the backside when you were playing. Just tell us about that. I was playing with Jamal Musiala and I was just trying to be clever and flick the ball over someone's head. I promised by accident, I don't set out (laughs) to humiliate people like that. Uh, and then the person went up the other end and scored immediately and I think shushed me as well. So. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Showboat karma. Yeah. Coming back to bite you. Good. Right. Let's start with the culture because we're going to talk about all aspects of the new game. It is such a an iconic brand. Started 30 years ago, back in 1993, became a, a global phenomenon Everything from the the music in the game, the soundtrack each year, the likeness to the players, the celebrations, the skills, the cover stars. What are your early memories, Art? Gone. I was actually thinking about this before this podcast was kind of brought up to me, and it's FIFA Football 2004. I remember that was the first edition I actually played. My dad brought it home once, and I think we played together as France. So I just remember seeing uh, Zidane on the game and who was doing the commentary? Clyde Tilsley and Ali McCoyce. <laughs> Ali McCoyce, Ali McCoyce was on the comms. Jay? I can remember going over to a friend's house when I was about eight years old and um, he just bought FIFA 2003, which I think had Edgar Davids on the front. And um, I remember my friend just being mesmerised that you could see grass on the player's shorts. His mind was absolutely blown by that. But similarly to art, it's something that I've grown up with. It's older than me. I'll, I'll rub it in and say I'm still still 28. Um, but I really remember FIFA Street as well. I know you touched upon the music, but I remember FIFA Street 
been quite a big moment in my childhood because you heard people like Dizzy Rascal and I think MC Harvey from So Solid Crew uh, commentated on that game. But then as I grew older, the actual FIFA series soundtrack, you had bands like uh, The Vaccines, um, Tudor Cinema Club, Chase and Status, who around the age of 16, 17, 18, I then went on and saw perform at Reading Festival and all these other events. Um, so even subconsciously, it had like an impact on my music taste as well without even realizing it. So it was a game that really did just um, get its hooks into like every different part of culture. And it still happens now, doesn't it? You'll hear a, you'll hear a track on, on the radio or, you know, playing on Spotify or, or whatever. And you go, are that... Oh yeah, that's a, that's a FIFA one, isn't it? That's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a FIFA one. Obviously now, I've done it. I've already done it. That's a FIFA one. That's a FIFA one. Okay. There should now, be a little yeah. buzzword yeah. for how many times exactly, uh, exactly. we say it. I have done it. But just to sort of declare my sort of path with, with FIFA, as I can call it, because it started eons ago. Um, I remember at university specifically playing the hell out of FIFA 99. So that was a long, long time ago. And then back in 2013, so 10 years ago, I actually worked with EA to reveal the UK cover stars. Just have a listen to this. He is known affectionately as the Ox. I bring to you Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Alex, uh, welcome along. Many congratulations. How does it feel? Um, obviously, it's come as a, a bit of a surprise to me, obviously, being a keen FIFA FIFA player for a number of years, you know, ever since I could probably pick up a control pad. Uh, so, obviously, it's a massive honour for me and, you know, one I will cherish for sure. So, that was when Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was on the on the front of the, the cover, Joe Hart. So, things have, things have moved on quite a lot. Um, just a quick word before we get really stuck into it. FIFA rather than Pro Evo boys or, or were you sort of balancing the two? So for me, I'm not sure it was like for Jay. I was big into FIFA first and then I dabbled with Pro Evo around Pro 5, Pro 6. I think everyone probably did. Uh, but then after that, I think FIFA just took it to a different level and just I stayed with them. Quite similar, to be honest. Pro, Pro Evo 6 is the one which I think most people remember. It had like Adriano and, and John Terry on the front. Um, and, you know, North London Red and West, <laughs> West London Blue for, for all the team names. You know, you'd have, you know, Rude Van Nistelrooy would be called Rude Van Nistel Donk or, or something <laughs> random like that. And I think when you're 10 years old, there's kind of like a funny um, novelty factor to that. And then I remember on the Nintendo Wii, which I had, um, Pro Evo had some quite interesting gameplay where you could, you know, point the controller and make people who weren't in possession of the ball make the craziest <laughs> yeah, runs. Yeah, yeah. And then I think it just got to a point where with licensing, etc., and as the graphics got better, you did want to see, you know, Henri look like Henri. And I think FIFA just over time did that way better than, than Pro Evo did. And it just felt like there was a point probably around 2009, 2010, where Pro Evo just dropped off. And a part of that is probably the introduction of Ultimate Team. Oh yeah, by the way, Ultimate Team is this game mode which EA introduced, I think it was around 2009. And it's essentially an opportunity for people to make what they believe is the best team in the world. The way it works is you buy packs which contain players, but then you're also able to sell those players if you don't want them on a global marketplace. And it's essentially in a way, a bit of a turbocharged version of FPL or the trading cards you used to do when you were younger, just on an absolutely massive scale. Let's talk about the new game, FC24. You've obviously both played it. 
a lot. <laughs> um, I, I must I must admit I've not played it yet. I play still FIFA twenty one with my with my son, so I haven't committed. So you may well sort of be able to sell it to me today and it may well be in the in the stocking courtesy of, of Santa Claus, etc. Um <laughs> this Christmas. Um what is it like for you, Art? It's it's very similar to the old editions. I think the main changes are very subtle at this point every year. They try and make it a little bit more realistic, which I think in the first few weeks and months is quite frustrating for a lot of people. Um, for instance, I've found quite often, especially in Ultimate Team games, you can score at the near post so much more easily than, <laughs> than um, in, in recent editions. But also there's little things like Sometimes uh, a goalkeeper's parry might actually just go into the net rather than being a perfect parry or a tackle may bobble a bit more. And those are, I guess, teething issues that people are still getting used to. Um, so those are the kind of the more, I guess, the minutiae of the changes so far as a game. I think like every year I'm just I'm hopping on playing actually I play pro clubs a bit more often than ultimate team which if people don't know is um, basically a game mode where you can play with all of your friends in different positions uh, against other people um, and that's probably the most fun uh, which I'm sure uh, a lot of people who are listening enjoy as well. Yeah that that's the thing nowadays it's not just you know two people on on the same sofa or, or whatever playing obviously there's so much going on online and so many different sort of ways of, of, of playing it's a very malleable um sort of proposition nowadays uh, from your point of view jay the there's some clever new stuff in there i was watching a video which was on tiktok i think basically talking about the technology and the biometrics and trying to make it even more authentic as art has touched on do you think that it is a, a better game now yeah, um, I think the technology you're on about is called like hypermotion technology, yeah. um, which you often see when um, you know you're making a film or something like that, and they put loads of these green dots on a person. Ping pong balls. Yeah, ping pong balls. There you go, <laughs> um, to kind of capture their motion and their movement. So, two people who, in my time playing the game, stands out immediately is uh, Chloe Kelly and Raheem Sterling. Both have very distinct running styles, yeah. and when you use them in the game, um, that's really apparent. So it's. You know, it's nice when they kind of add those artistic flourishes, but at the end of the day, this is a this is a rebrand. It's not a revolution. It is still the exact same game it was a year ago. It's just got a different title. That's certainly how I feel about it. There's been tiny differences and adjustments as Art's kind of alluded to, but the core product is the exact same. It's just that they've had this this split from FIFA. Before we get any further into this, let's just get a little bit of history on the partnership, bit of context on the big split as well. Here's our senior news reporter, Matt Slater. FIFA, world football's governing body, has made some strange decisions in its time. But one of the very strangest came a couple of years ago when President Gianni Infantino basically decided or tried to um, shake down EA, the makers of FIFA, the eponymous computer game. And EA didn't blink. Now, the relationship goes back to the early 90s when EA launched this computer game. Uh, it wanted it to be as authentic as possible. It wanted FIFA's stamp of approval and name on the front of the box, and it wanted World Cup image rights in the game, and it got all that. And it's been a very successful game for EA. EA's gone from strength to strength, and the computer game is a smash hit. 
But it was also really, really good for FIFA. I mean, it got them really, really steady licensing revenue. It was up to about $150 million as of a few years ago. But it also got them a really, really positive story. It helped break football in various markets, most notably North America. But it also helped football navigate the changing viewing habits of, of an audience. And at times when FIFA hasn't had that many things to crow about, I'm thinking particularly in 2016 when it was engulfed in a, another corruption scandal that ultimately did for long-standing president Sepp Blatter and saw various senior people go to prison, FIFA was a positive story. It was what people associated. The first thing, are oh, the game, the game's a good game. And, it was, and I think it's really helped FIFA. So the decision to ask for more money really, really backfired. EA didn't blink and has, has said fine. And the game goes from strength to strength. It's now called EA Sports FC. It doesn't need World Cup image rights in there. It's got everything else. It's got all your favorite clubs in there. Players haven't really noticed a difference. And yet FIFA is now bereft and it's left looking for a new partner to do computer games with. And, and it hasn't happened because the EA game is so popular. So a strange decision, looked like a strange decision at the time, and, and that's the way it's panned out. It's great to get Matt's take on it, and I'll talk to both Art and Jay in a moment. Just on the finances, it's really interesting because it's such a lucrative relationship. EA's revenues hit £6 billion, which is $7.4 billion last year, uh, with the FIFA series viewed as a, a key driver of that success. And then as Matt mentioned, FIFA, meanwhile, they earned a reported $150 million a year for the use of their name. And that's a big chunk of the $268 million that the organization generated in brand licensing revenues during 2022. So now, obviously, they need to try and replace that and we'll see how they do it. Um, it, it feels and it looks counterintuitive from FIFA's point of view to sort of now leave themselves without an option, without a partner. Um, there has been promises of of their own FIFA game. Gianni Infantino has been giving it the big and saying it's going to be the game, which is quite sort of predictable from, from the man himself. Uh, do you expect them, Jay, to sort of persevere and to, to go again? So to give a little bit of context, when Art and I went to the, the launch of FC24, yeah. had the opportunity to speak to someone in their marketing department, his name's James Salmon, and he was kind of talking about some of the reasons for the split. And he said it was an opportunity for EA to own our ecosystem. And what they meant by that was that FIFA, of course, was this huge brand, which gave them opportunities, but also prevented them from exploring other opportunities. Mm. And so the best example of that is FIFA has a long time partnership, commercial partnership with Adidas. And it's no coincidence that straight away in this new version of FC24, EA have a partnership with Nike. So that's something that would have been prevented from doing in the past. And then I've also seen um, there's like Amazon Prime logos in the background and when you're playing the games, etc. So I'm assuming that's all stuff which EA have been allowed to do or it's been enabled for them to do because they're less FIFA. Now, in terms of if FIFA are going to come up with their own game, creating a video game is expensive. It takes a, a lot of time. Releasing a game every year brings its own unique pressures. FIFA have no experience in that department. And I think if they want to create a competitor, we're talking years. Um, whereas obviously Gianni Infantino said, 
I'm not too sure if he said, but there was definitely a claim that there was going to be a, a FIFA 24. I think we can pretty confidently say that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, it's just too complex, takes too long. Um, you know, they have to find a, a studio and a developer to partner with. Are there many studio developers in the world that want to go up against EA? I don't think so. And the key thing that people have to remember or realize, which I didn't realize until I spoke to, to people from EA, is that their licensing agreements with the leagues were completely separate to their partnership with, with FIFA. So they've not been impacted by that at all. In fact, they've signed new long-term agreements with the Premier League, with La Liga, et cetera. So I think they've got, what is it? 300 leagues, 19,000 players registered. That is <laughs> so hard to compete with. We were obviously joking about North London Red earlier, etc. But it's true. When we play the game, we want that authenticity. We want to play with club badges. We want to play with the correct kit. We want to see that players actually look like who they're supposed to represent. And FIFA will have to build up from scratch something that competes against that. And I just do not see that happening anytime soon. Oh, do you see it as a, as a sort of a futile exercise if FIFA try and go up against... FC24 or, you know, whatever iteration it is in the future. Yeah, I don't really see them being able to compete properly. If we're looking in the short term, that's not going to happen because of everything Jay said. But also they were able to come in at the ground floor with EA Sports and FIFA. Now you're coming in when, <laughs> when <laughs> EA Sports are probably at, I guess, the top floor, you'd call it. The and executive suite <laughs> at the penthouse really they've left um Konami and Pro Evo behind I know we'll probably get into that a bit more later but do you see that do you almost see like a sort of an undertaker moment sort of <laughs> rising up and FIFA partnering with Konami and you know so, Pro Evo sort of coming back and becoming this this new hybrid thing it, it would be interesting if that I guess hypothetical situation happened because there was a time where I guess in that 2005 to 2010 period, I'm not sure if Jay felt this way, but I definitely did. If they were to merge, I felt they could have just almost built the the perfect game in a way because there were definitely elements to uh, Pro Evolution Soccer, Konami, whichever way you want to look at it, that were better than, than EA Sports' FIFA at the time. But now I just don't think there's much space um, for them to either come up with something new that almost shocks the market because of the way EA Sports have pushed this. And also, as Jay mentioned, to develop something that is as close to um, the gameplay that we're experiencing now and have been experiencing for for probably 20, 15 years. So, so DJ Jackson, who I spoke to from EA, he said something quite interesting in our conversation where he's basically talking about how when a piece of music is released, it doesn't necessarily mean that much in that moment in time. You know, when you write a song, it doesn't really have that much value. There's obviously better and worse songs when you first release them, but the listening to it and the audience who it resonates with give it value over time. And songs get better the longer that they're available to be heard. And it's a bit like that with a brand. Now you look at FIFA, you've mentioned, it's not even about the game anymore. It's about people watching people 
opening mm. packs. There are millions of people that play this. There are millions of people that stream it on Twitch or YouTube or whatever it is. I've watched pack openings before and people play Road to Glories and all these other iterations of things you can do on, on EA's games. It's just huge. It's like Pandora's box. It's been opened. And I think there's just way, way, way too much of a gap that any new FIFA game would have to bridge not just in terms of the game itself and the quality of the game, but the cultural impact for them to ever get anywhere close. Let's talk about the the relationship between the name FIFA and the game, because it, it feels to me that there was like two parallel universes that existed when it came to the name FIFA. You had the organisation, World Football's governing body, and you had the game. In 2015, if you were to say FIFA to some people, they would have just simply thought set blatter. They would have thought corruption. They would have thought, you know, the the world governing body and uh, World Cup awards. It's all wrong. You say it to another strata of society, and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on then, let's let's have a game. <laughs> it would mean nothing to some people that whole corruption element. It's interesting now that you sort of view the two things as 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 separate entities, but it, it did do FIFA, I suppose, a bit of a favour being associated with something that was so popular? Or do you think that that continued, that they, they were just on two parallel, in two parallel worlds? Yeah, I think the way you put it is probably the perfect way because I was 17 in 2015. And if you had said FIFA to me, I would have said, okay, yeah, let's play a game. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, speaking just personally, I didn't really take too much notice in the whole corruption stuff. I remember, obviously, uh, the Qatar bid being made in 2010. I remember seeing that on the news, but it didn't really register to me at the time because at the time I was 12 <laughs> and I was playing FIFA, yeah. the game. So um, for me, yeah, I think it definitely probably helped FIFA a lot because there were a whole generation, probably two or three generations of kids coming up who didn't really pay much attention to um, what was going on in the real world. Um, and now it probably helps EA a lot more that they've kind of separated themselves from that because now that these people, myself included, <laughs> are getting older, you can kind of separate it a, a bit more easily now because of that name change. So yeah, I definitely feel like there was probably an accidental positive for FIFA having that name attached to the game. Uh, but now I guess the, the, the blankets kind of been lifted for everyone to see. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't put it any better. The, the two things in my mind were always completely separate. Um, and I think that's because you never really got the impression that FIFA had too much undue influence or involvement in the creation of the games. Had there been a bigger crossover in terms of, I don't know, Sepp Blatter announcing it at an event and, you know, stood there at an event with the head of EA, which probably did happen, but I don't remember or recall it happening. I think you would have felt like there was a bigger influence, but it just felt like here's the game, here's the organisation. And like you said, they're on two parallel paths. 
Yeah, it's, I suppose knowing sort of FIFA as we do and the way that Sepp Blatter previously behaved, the way that Gianni Infantino now behaves himself, it's actually surprising that those two people didn't actually feature more yeah. in the game. It's, I, I, yeah. I'm sort of surprised that at the beginning it wasn't them sort of handing over trophies <laughs> yeah. or, or popping up behind the, the branding or whatever, but thankfully it didn't happen. I suppose, you know, let's let's deal with the the, the calling of the game FIFA. Obviously, it's an experience now that Elon Musk is sort of having to wrestle with. It's not Twitter anymore. It's it's X. I mean, this goes back eons. You know, we we Hoover our rooms and you know Hoover our our houses and stuff. It's, it's not a Hoover. It's a, it's a vacuum cleaner. But you know, mud sticks and and words uh, continue to be associated w- with products. Are people going to stop calling it? FIFA. I mean, my son always goes. Do you want a game of Fiefs? Fiefs. It's like it's, it's like that's that's what he says. It's like you know. So when I mentioned pro clubs earlier, when we're asking each other if we want to play, we don't mention the name of the game. We just say, "Do you want to play clubs?" People will have their own, yeah, like I guess language for it. Anyway, people who play the game, I think it's more about okay when it comes time to market and sell around September time, that's when people may have more of a conscious kind of decision to make about what they call it. But during, I guess, the lifespan of each game, I don't think it will really matter too much. But for the next, you know, the next generation coming through, I suppose it it does actually make more sense, doesn't it? You know, you've got a game that is called effectively Football Club 24. It was always more focused on the the club side of things. I know a lot of people like playing international games and, you know, playing in the World Cup and stuff like that, but it always felt more like a, a club thing anyway. So it does work better. And I suppose as people get older, yeah. it will just be FC 24, FC 25, et cetera, et cetera. I think it will, we will just be split down generation lines. And the best example I can give you, I know you've said the Hoover one, but it's the premiership. Like there, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. people still call the Premier oh. League the premiership. Yeah, it's and annoying, that, isn't it? That, <laughs> I, I like it. it, I like it. You like and, it. And, and, yeah. and, and when did that happen? 20 or so years ago? Like yeah. a, a long yeah, time yeah, yeah. ago. Certainly since the game's been released, I've noticed that with friends, so like if I'm playing it with art, um, well, to be honest, we'll probably just say, shall we play each other on Ultimate Team? As yeah. he said, we won't really mention the brand name. But it's when I'm talking to my mom or my grand or my girlfriend, like, oh, I went to the, oh, they're not going to understand if I yeah. say FC24 <laughs> launch. It's yeah. not going to mean anything. So, oh, mum, I've gone to the to the, the, the launch of the new FIFA game. She's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I say to my girlfriend, oh, I think I'm going to play a bit of FIFA tonight. Whereas if I said FC24, she's like, oh, you got another game. Like, <laughs> Stop wasting your time on it. So I think it would just be split in terms of who does and doesn't play the game and, and as generations change. Um, so people who are maybe 10 years old now will grow up calling it FC. Um, whereas Art and I will unfortunately probably stick to FIFA for a little while longer. But um, bad habits take a while to, to move from. Yeah, absolutely. And it is also interesting that, you know, this doesn't just impact on the people playing it and what they're calling it. You're absolutely right about, you know, your elders. They're the ones that usually go into the shops and have to buy the thing, you know, you know, in the in the olden days, if you're not just downloading <laughs> yeah, it, obviously. I, I can't say my mum's bought it for me for a few years. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, for people listening, they're like, well, yeah, I'm hoping that I'm going to get this or I'm going to get that. But I yeah. guess you can just download it now rather than actually just 
buying a hard copy. I just showed my age there. Well, no, I? no, I prefer the hard copies, okay. to be fair. Like even... It's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Even coming up this week, we've got Spider-Man 2 coming out and I want that physical copy. Well, there you go. It still means something. I um, still get the physical copy as well. Oh, you do? Yes, I sell it on eBay afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> we can't sell a digital copy. <laughs> Excellent. Just a word on... EA and them sort of just doing a couple of extra things, which, you know, you mentioned Jay earlier on that they're able to do in terms of commercial partnerships, but they're able to do a little bit more um, community based things, both online and in real life as well. There's FC Futures, a little elevator pitch on on FC Futures for EA, Jay. <laughs> well, it's not my elevator pitch, no. I should point out. Um, so like I said, I spoke to someone who's involved in the marketing department for EA at the launch. Um, and they spoke about how at its core, FC24 is a video game based on football. And now they want to create a football platform built off a video game. Yeah. So where FC Futures comes into that is that they've sort of made this pledge to, you know, invest into grassroots and invest into community. So I think they've, um, you know, helped launch a few pitches. Am I right? I'm thinking they might have done it with um, Rocky Rowcastle and Ian Wright. Yes. yes. Um, so a pitch that was kind of built in, in South East London um, in commemoration of, Rowcastle yeah. and obviously of Ian Wright's achievements. So it's just about trying to expand their impact uh, away from a television screen and into the actual real world of football. But they are also investing and I suppose developing in in esports and which is it which is an interesting point when you think about the FIFA E World Cup, which has been going for what 19 years, I think it is now, 2004, I think it started. They now, EA, have have brought in FC Pro. Just explain what that is, because it, that just feels like they're coming in and they're going, right, FC Pro is our FC World Cup, and you can forget about FIFA Esports World Cup. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it will be. I mean, I don't pay too much attention to esports, if I'm, I'm brutally honest, but I think the way that's evolved and changed over the last 10 years or so has been huge. So it makes complete sense that EA would still be invested down that route. Um, you know, you look at most Premier League teams these days and they've got a separate part of the club that's just of dedicated course. to yeah. to esports. So it's something that I've not quite been able to wrap my mind around, but of course it's something that brings a lot of attention. You know, we obviously both used to work at Sky and I can remember being in the Sky Studios one time and they were filming the Esports World Cup in there. Um, so why would EA kind of turn a blind eye to that now that they're kind of separated from FIFA? It's something that they're still gonna put a lot of investment and time into kind of building and cultivating. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Now, never mind the name change. One of the biggest moves has been to incorporate the biggest female football stars in Ultimate Team, as, as Jay was talking about earlier on, basically the fantasy football element of the game. Now, Jay caught up with Leah Ravel, who is one of the top female FC streamers in North America, and also David DJ Jackson, who uh, Jay has mentioned before, who's the uh, vice president of brand for EA Sports FC, just to explain a bit more. For us, it was about adding a tremendous amount of agency and optionality to squad building. You also got to look at it in the sense that we've got 19,000 athletes in the product this year. 
that dwarfs any other major video game just for sheer scale. But as you're looking around the world, if you wanted to add a significant volume of incremental athletes, it's really tough to go anywhere in the world in the men's game because most of that is already ingested into our platform. So the women's game became this incredible sort of future that we could build collectively with our fan base. We could add nearly 2,000 athletes to the game in one fell swoop because we already had NWSL, WSL, Division One Feminine, and UEFA Women's Champions League. We added the Frauen Bundesliga and Liga F in Germany and Spain this year too. When you add players of that caliber and that quality and that global resonance into the product all at the same time, the ability for players to choose and the optionality that that provides in squad building is unmatched. So yes, you can have Russo and Kerr in a team with Haaland and Mbappe now, and that provides just an incredible amount of storytelling. And the response from players has been pretty significant. You know, over 49% of squads right now have a female athlete in them. We're seeing that the prices on the transfer market, that's the peer-to-peer -peer transfer market that exists inside of Ultimate Team, is holding up these female athletes as some of the better players in the game. And the ratings that they have, the OVR that they have, is providing players with ever more agency and optionality. So on the whole, we think that it's been very well received by the core community. There is always going to be a sense of whether or not it's quote unquote realistic and whether or not in reality, you know, Chloe Kelly and Erling Haaland, just because they both play for Man City, would play quite well with each other in, in a real world environment. But that's what video games are for. You know, the ability to be able to imagine, the, the ability to be able to create a fantasy in a construct that feels real and feels familiar. My name is Leah Ravel. I am from Ottawa, Canada. I started streaming three years ago. I would say that I'm one of the few FC streamers in North America. I'm very proud to be amongst some of the best in NA. When I started, I could probably count on one hand how many female FC or FIFA streamers there were. If I see that there are some women that are streaming, you know, a game that's predominantly male-influenced or male-based, the more women I see, the more inspired I get as a woman to say, okay, well, you know, if they're doing it, then I can. With FC24 and the introduction of women in Ultimate Team and women in the game is a really, really huge stepping stone, especially for, for us as women to be able to, you know, use players that we relate to on like a deeper level. But you and I and everyone listening, I think can probably attest to this, where FIFA and FC have been a huge influence on the exposure of the game in general. Like, I would not know anyone. I don't watch the championship. I watch Premier League and I watch La Liga and that's it. You know, but all these players from like the second division in Spain or wherever, like, the more exposed I am to it, the more I know these players and I know the league and, you know, some of the, the SBCs or the content that comes out makes me watch some of these matches, for example. And I think having women in the game will give that same influence to people to, you know, watch the women's game a little bit more and understand a little bit more what's happening. In the game, a lot of women's players are rated equivalent to a lot of men's players. So, for example, Sam Kerr, I believe, is 90 or 91 rated whereas Holland is the same 91. And at first glance, people think that makes no sense. Like, how is Holland rated the same as Sam Kerr when, you know, like, Holland is so much stronger and so much taller and scores so many, whatever. But the educational point in that sense is that it's relative to their respective games. So with Sam Kerr, she's one of the best, if not the best, 
in women's football as is Holland currently. So when it's understood with that perspective, I think it's easier for people to consume. It's easier for people to understand. I think just continuing to spotlight women's football, EA has a huge platform to be able to use. And I think they've already done a really great job at that. So just continuing that. And I think obviously with the FC brand as their own, I think there's a lot more flexibility to be able to do some really fun things. Let's just reflect on on some of the the things that were were mentioned there, and I think it, it's it's almost the most interesting thing now with with FC twenty four and obviously previously with with FIFA that it really is just part of the conversation, not only with with gamers that can't perform on on the football pitch, but actual players themselves. And you know we've seen clips of England players sort of going through their their statistics. You know what you've got good stats, bro. Yeah. Let's no, see that no. card. Hang on, look at these. Let's, should we do a quick little rapid assessment to the camera? Shocking, shocking, shocking. Decent, oh, yeah, be decent, decent. And as you've heard, it it, it means it means quite a lot. It's it's part of the it's part of the culture. It's part of the it's part of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I think you see every year. It can be players that aren't even at say an England level. Yeah players who have maybe playing in League Two, League One, the championship, they will all be really interested in what they've been rated. And I think in a way, some some of those players maybe don't really have to critique their cards that much because players can actually get their own 99 rated cards, which are like maxed out um, for Ultimate Team specifically. But I think it does, um, it creates good, I guess, conversation and content um, around those players and shows a bit of their personality as well, which can only uh, be a good thing, really. I, I remember I uh, went to a Brentford B team game a couple of years ago um, and Mads Bidstrup, who's now at Red Bull Salzburg, I think, um, was playing in the game at the time. And um, I was just chatting to him after the game, as you do. And I think the ratings had just been announced that day. So I said, oh, gee, I've got it up right here if you want to take a look at it. And he's like, what my pace? Like, he's like, what's going on, bro? So even... You know, I think that was the first time I've properly spoken to him, but it was just like a bit of a, help me to kind of bridge that gap between the journalist and the player and kind of ease him into the conversation that we then had afterwards. But it was good fun as well. There are also some serious issues as well, which I think is worth discussing because obviously, the, you know, the rise of, of gaming is has interesting elements. It has exciting elements for people that are really into it, but also it can lead some people into playing the game and games in general too much. You know, it is something that the industry, esports industry as a whole, I suppose, and gaming industry needs to be conscious of. And I think that, I mean, Leah mentioned it as well in, in your conversation with her. I think it depends. I think that obviously I don't want to ever promote, especially for children. For me and my brand, I do spend a lot of money on the game. I do spend a lot of money on on FC points to create content. Um, and that's part of my job. But I think it's important to almost educate in a way that because I do this doesn't mean that you can do that the same way that, you know, like a footballer, for example, that you watch is wearing head to toe designer and he's going to all these like crazy places. Not everyone 
you know, <laughs> is going to be doing those things. And I think that it's just important to kind of really just highlight that because I'm doing this or because Bateson's doing this or Sean or whoever, because these creators are doing this doesn't mean that you need to be. I think for me, and I can say this because I've played the game for, you know, 15 plus years. I think one of the biggest issues with Ultimate Team is the fact that obviously mentioned that you can buy packs that contain players and you have to spend real life money to do that. Or you can spend real life money to do it. And I can remember friends of mine spending hundreds of pounds and it's just how do you regulate that? How do you prevent people from doing that? Because, you know, after you lose a game, we've all had it. <sighs> lost the game 2-0, it's because my keeper's rubbish. I'm going to go out and buy a pack and hopefully I'm going to get Manuel Neuer or Thibaut Courtois. It's too easy and too accessible to just think that spending real life money is a way to success on that game. One of the biggest issues that FC24 has or the franchise has is that how do you make people responsibly play the game and responsibly use packs? And there just needs to be a little bit better education and maybe even restrictions on how many packs you buy a day or how much money you can spend at one time on the game. One element of it is, I don't want to get like almost too deep, but there is like a gambling element to it. And that's why you get those really big reactions sometimes from people who are streaming it because you don't know who you're going to get. Two more questions, um, one each to you. One on a, on a serious side of the game where we have seen um, players who've been involved in um, serious issues off the field uh, that have been taken out of the game because of you know potential reputational damage to FIFA and obviously to FC24 now it, it does show how um how interconnected the two worlds are doesn't it Art? yeah so for context those i guess suspensions i guess you'd call them only really tend to happen when there's a, an official ruling of some kind so when things are a bit more morally ambiguous those players will still be in the game because the game by law can't really just take someone out because there's rumors about them. But unfortunately, it's quite frequent, especially in the last kind of five years or so. You've seen a lot of players just being taken out of the game for a lot of different reasons. But it does show to people, especially those younger people who are playing it, there are consequences for actions. And I think that's probably one of the, I guess, benefits of those sorts of decisions being made by by those who run the game. Just a final question to both of you, and I wanted you to just sort of imagine you are the holders of, of digital crystal balls, okay? And you can predict the future, you can use your knowledge of the game and having played it to, to tell us where it's going to head. And just a little caveat to that, I went to um, a performance analysis conference recently and they were talking about the influence of, of AI on how clubs um, tactically analyse what they're doing on the field and bringing that element in to try and help predictions and modelling and all that sort of stuff. Where do you see FC going in the future how interactive is it going to become? What what would you like to see now part of the of the game? Maybe in five years, ten years, or or whatever. For me, it's hard to see it evolving much in terms of the gameplay. Um, obviously, we don't know where things will go in terms of being able to 
experienced it through VR, like you mentioned and stuff like that. But for me, I think it's just getting into the depth. I, I think I'd like to see that a bit more because when we talk about football video games, FIFA's in one lane and then Football Manager's in a different lane. And we haven't mentioned Football Manager yeah. yet, but I would say Football Manager as a gaming experience is miles ahead because of the depth that's in it. And they're able to do that because their platform is PC based. They do have console games, but the PC version is what people go to them for. And I think FIFA slash EA have tried to implement some of that in their more recent games, like in career mode. Now you're able to switch positions and train players to play in different roles. But I think if they were looking to push further, I'd say almost getting closer to what Football Manager produce is what I would hope for. <laughs> Don't know if that would be realistic because again, at the end of the day, this is a simulation. No one's actually playing EA, EA Sports FC to, to be a football manager. That's not the purpose of this game at the minute, but that's what came to my mind. It's hard to predict, but you know, like Art says, the reality is the game is not that much different to what it was five, 10 years ago. I can definitely see them incorporating more elements of, of football manager like you touched upon. I think we might see an even greater crossover of what happens in real world football in terms of what happens in EA FC games. I don't know what that exactly looks like, whether you put on a VR headset and you know you manage from the, the touchline in a game um, or there's more interactivity between Erling Haaland or Jude Bellingham or something like that. Because at the moment, for example, an ultimate team, you can often play the teams of celebrities. So Erling Haaland will make his ultimate team and you can play against that. I, f I can imagine they'll try and find a way to use more of their brand power to, to do more stuff with Nike and, and Amazon Prime or whoever it is in the game. But if I knew what that looked like, I'd be in the EA Towers <laughs> <laughs> earning, earning some of that seven point whatever billion dollars that was on the table. As you were talking, Joe, literally a light bulb went yeah. off a, a, above Art's head. What yeah. What's your big idea? Come no, on, it's no, it's come what, to you. One of the new features in this game is basically a manager cam. So one of the ways you can play the game is by standing in the dugout as the manager. You set the team up, they just play and you're you're watching it. And I've it's funny, like when I say it like that, you probably think, who'd want to do that? You've but definitely done I've, it. I'm you? not I I well, I've done it for like two <laughs> minutes in a preseason <laughs> game. But um I saw like on my TikTok there's this one guy who who streams doing it through that that mode and just seeing him react to what's going on on the pitch it is the draw rather than what's actually going on on the pitch so i think that's probably an, another i guess avenue they could go down because it's again just seeing someone play the game in a different way is drawing people to him so it's quite interesting well i've really enjoyed the chat the good news is 
you can go and play the game now because <laughs> can we're I just done. say go on the first thing he said when he saw me in the office today was we need to have a big chat about uh playstation and fc24 so <laughs> well it's not just uh, that unre- game. unrelated yeah. to this pod yeah, I un- unrelated unrelated <laughs> <laughs> excellent i like it it's all part of the conversation in the office i'm sure where you know you're listening and uh yeah it's been great to sort of pull it apart on this episode thanks to jay thanks to art uh, also to leah to uh dj uh matt for their contributions earlier on as well don't forget you can sign up to the athletic today for just 199 a month for 12 months via theathletic.com forward slash football pod thanks for listening we'll be back tomorrow you've been listening to the athletic football podcast the producers were adonis pratsides and guy clark with additional production by mike stavro and jay beale the executive producer was ad moorhead The Athletic.